He was walking uh, up the hill where the young teacher, the new rabbi, was going. And as he was walking up the hill, he had in his memory of things that God had done on a mountain before. How God had given the law on a mountain and how God had uh, spoke to Abraham on a mountain. And he, these, these thoughts are in his head because for, for a long time, for 400 years, there's not been a prophet in Israel. For 400 years, nobody's understood or heard the voice of God in the way that the prophets would. And as he walks up that, that mountainside to hear this young teacher, in his mind, he's, he's remembering how his father was a part of a group that wanted to bring freedom to the nation of Israel. And his father died in the process, along with the 35,000 other young men and women who died in the same time this rabbi was there. As he's making his way up the hill, what kind of thoughts go through his head? What kind of thoughts is he thinking? Uh, I'm expecting a teacher. See, when they walked into the temple, when they walked into the synagogue, they, always, they already knew what was going to be said. They had an expectation of what this new teacher or what the teacher might bring. Some recitation of the law, some, some reading of a scroll, some repeating of, of, of some form of their faith. So now what is this rabbi going to do? And there's rumors. There's rumors everywhere. And they're going around and they're talking about this, this rabbi's a little different. He actually has this unique power. And, and people are getting healed when he goes past them. Something is not the same as these other teachers of the law. And so there's a sense of anticipation building with every step as he walks up that mountain. As he takes another step up that mountain. It's growing in his heart. It's growing in his mind. And then he sees the teacher sit down to speak. And when the teacher sits down to speak, that's a sign of authority in his culture. This guy's going to deliver the goods now. It's going to be amazing. We're going to hear something from God that may be a little different, maybe a little inspiring. We're going to hear. And so part of what he heard was the kingdom of heaven. That's good, right? Inherit the earth. Oh, that's, we like that one. Satisfaction. Oh, we're all for that. We're all, nobody's against satisfaction, except maybe the news media. But here's, here's what's happening as he is sitting there, and he's just found his spot. What kind of, what kind of future will there be in Israel for my son? What kind of future will there be for my daughter? What kind of future will there be? And I happen to think that we have asked those questions. What kind of future do we have for our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our... And we live in that tension. And Jesus delivers a message that is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. But the message he delivers is not the message that the young man was looking for. You see, before he heard about the kingdom of heaven, he heard a sentence that said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke actually says, blessed are the poor. Wait a minute. That's not what we were thinking you were going to say. We like the kingdom of heaven part, God, but we're, we're the people of God. Why should we have poverty of spirit? 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We love you, the idea of you coming back. If you think the American churches quote 2 Chronicles 7.14, they had it by memory. If my people who are called by my name, right? We remember that. We hear that all the time. Has nothing to do with America, but had everything to do with them. They quoted it because it was their promise. And oh man, what is going on? The, but wait, the meek get that? What about the warriors? What about the fighters? What about the, the people who are going to overthrow Rome? And what about the people who are going to kick those, those rotten tax collectors out? If you work for the IRS, I apologize, you're not rotten. But see, the reality of it is, is that's, that's what's going through his head. Wait, okay. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wait a minute. We thought satisfaction was our inheritance. Not the result of a passion for justice. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus, you're, you're literally flipping over the cart for everything that we thought what are we going to do with that, Jesus? Imagine sitting there hearing those words and thinking, this is not what I expected, a young teacher. In fact, if you were, see, in that crowd, there were the poor, there were the rich, there were the religious elite, there were the, the, the if we would use this phrase, the church folk, there was all those people there. There were Gentiles maybe who had snuck in on the periphery to go, is this an insurrectionist? What's he going to do? What's he trying to do? They were all listening and all within earshot. And you know how fast rumors travel, don't you? Like that. So somebody heard what Jesus said here, and they told it here, and it went to another city and another village and another city. But they're hearing this. And now, and now, Jesus doesn't stop there. He begins to unravel their idea of God's, of, of their kingdom and replace it with an idea of God's kingdom. He's literally pulling on the thread that makes the whole thing come apart. I remember traveling a few years ago and there was a small thread right here on my back pocket. And I thought, oh, that's not good. I'll pull it off. And I pulled it off and my pocket fell on the ground. Apparently after three feet, you should stop pulling. And that's what's happening to these people right now. The pocket that they had kept everything in, all their promises in, is now, he's unraveling the thread and it's about ready to fall on the ground. And they're listening. That's why at the very end, they said, we've never heard anybody teach like this. This is completely different than what we expected. This is completely different than what we've ever heard. We've never heard the kingdom talked about like this. This is radical to them. And it should be radical to us. It should. I don't like to use the word should, but I'm going to. It should be radical to us because here's what Jesus continues. He says, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And we're just going to take a look at those three sentences this morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about how those sentences literally are continuing of pulling the thread out of the fabric of the expectation these people had of God and what God was actually doing. And so if we could take a peek at this, he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. This seems to be a thread in the life of Jesus. 
Jesus told the story of the unmerciful servant. You remember that story? He had been forgiven a lot. He came out and there was another guy who owed him a little bit of money. And he said, hey, listen, you pay me everything. And Jesus said, that guy's in big trouble. Because he forgot what mercy was. Jesus actually said one time, or the scriptures actually say one time, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Wow. There is, and, and Jesus, this is crazy. A little later on, we're going to look at this in, in, in this sermon. If you don't forgive others, my Father is not going to forgive you. We should just all swallow hard at that, right? Because there's a whole lot of unforgiveness that circles around the American church when it comes to politics, when it comes to, to, to lifestyles, and when it comes to how we treat other people, just like there was then. And if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive. And I have to be honest, that kind of a statement from Jesus makes me think, wow, this is, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Mercy and forgiveness are connected. Asked a group of people a while back, when you stand before God, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to measure you by the basis of justice or mercy? And everybody said mercy, but it's justice. Because without justice, there can be no mercy. But justice for us is that the bad guys get their due and the good guys get free. And justice in the eyes of God is that when he hung on a cross, he satisfied the justice of God for everyone. And that's why he said we have to forgive. And he looked at us and he said, listen, listen, the measurement of forgiveness for someone else has never been their apology, their repentance. Their, their, it's actually been my forgiveness of you. Forgive as you have been you know that word, right? Forgiven. Paul actually summarizes all of Ephesians 4 with that statement. Be compassionate, kind-hearted, tender-hearted, loving one another, and forgive as Christ has forgiven you. I think, I won't put this on you. I'll just put it on me. Sometimes I don't want justice. I want revenge. I want God to stop all those mean people in the world who keep doing bad things. They're ruining, they're ruining my country for my kids. I want all... Maybe you're not like that, but I'm shallow. So I am. And more than once I've said, God, would you bring justice? And really what I meant inside of my soul was, God, would, would you get revenge on them? And the reason that God says vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, is because he's the only one who can do that. And his vengeance will always be based on how we respond to his justice. When God made a covenant with Abraham, the picture of this is so beautiful. He says to Abraham, listen, I need you to, to do what is the symbolic form of a covenant. And what they would do is they, they took specific animals and they cut them in half long way. All right? Now, I don't know how they did that without a, a, a saber saw or something, but they did. They figured out how to do it and they would lay them and they would dig a trough in between. And then both parties of the covenant would walk through. And the symbol was that, listen, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, do to me what's been done to these animals. And when God made a covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep and said, I'll walk through by myself. 
It's a one-sided covenant God made with Abraham. Jesus made a one-sided covenant with us that satisfies the justice of God. I heard somebody say a while back, if, if, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. As though God has to apologize for anything, first of all. And second of all, that avoids the first sentence Jesus spoke, blessed are the poor in spirit. See, the reality of it is, is that without God's justice, there is no mercy. And the Bible says in so many different places, Jesus Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he would bring us to God. Peter tells us that. The book of Acts tells us that. Again and again, the justice of God is satisfied. And so, when Jesus is blessed, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He's literally inviting us into a kingdom where we can say, Ah, I live in a kingdom where justice is satisfied. God's not angry in that kingdom. God's not vengeful in that kingdom. God is righteous in that kingdom and has satisfied the justice of God so that when I live in that kingdom, I can look at anyone else and not have to judge them. Which, by the way, he says in chapter 7, do not judge unless you be judged, right? Because when you judge without mercy... You get judgment without mercy. So blessed are the merciful. Because that's the access point to living in the mercy of God. The word mercy there, you could actually, actually kind of work that word forward to today. And you might even use the word empathy. Blessed are those who put themselves in the skin of another. Who put themselves in the shoes of another. My grandfather used to say, Leonard, always walk a mile in another man's shoes before you criticize him. Because that way you'll be a mile away and have his shoes. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, but the reality of it is, thanks for the dad joke laugh, I love it. God looks at us and says, what is John 1.14? And the word became flesh. God put on skin, the ultimate act of empathy. And he, he didn't, he, he came and he made his home with us. He set up his tent with us. And then it says a little later in that same, same book, same words from John, that he didn't come into the world to judge the world. Why? Because the world was already judged. But he came in to redeem the world and the church has to move past the idea of others. Othering is a, is a form of looking at people saying, there's us and there's others. There's those people, but there's others. Timothy Shriver, who is Maria Shriver's brother, wrote a book. And in the book, he talks about his experience because his mother opened uh, Camp Shriver where, there, where the developmentally disabled and kids with disabilities and families could come and he said what he learned by serving alongside of his mother, that there weren't others and him, there was just people. And somehow, that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's just people. We're all unmade beds. We're all broken. I was in, uh, I was in um, Cuba talking about this very concept. And, and when I was there, one of the pastors said, we're not that bad. And I said, okay, well, let's do a little sin math. Can we do that? 
And I said, I'm not good at any other math, but I'm good at sin math. So here's what we did. And I took my calculator out on my, on my iPad and I held it up and I said, look, we're just going to sin 10 times a day. 10 is all, right? Now, I start listing some of the ways that in which we might do that, like our thinking, our attitudes, and you know, on and on. He goes, can we make it 20? I said, no, we're just going to make it 10 because I can only divide and multiply by 10s. 10 times a day in one year, 3,650 times. That's not little. That's not good people. That's unmade bed people. We don't have room to other people. Well, we have room, according to Jesus and his kingdom, is to give mercy. Blessed are the merciful because those are the ones who live, who live in the mercy of God. My sister, uh, I have a brother and a sister, and my sister is by far the best of the three of us. And I was, tell, I was complaining to her. I said, I don't get the story of the shepherd and the sheep. Why would a shepherd leave 99 good sheep to go find one bad sheep? And my sister said to me, because I'm the bad sheep. Now you're talking like my grandma. Stop it. See, the reality of it is, blessed are the poor in spirit because we've obtained this mercy. So now we can show mercy. That's incredible. Blessed are the merciful because those are the ones. There are things in this world that fuel our empathy and our mercy. And there are things in this world that fuel a lack of that. I would say this. Here's my, here's my spiritual discipline, if I can share it with you. I'm working so hard to feed my soul things that fuel empathy because that's the only way I can change my mind and be empathetic in the way I think. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will be the ones who obtain mercy. They live fully in the mercy of God. I get in the way. My opinions get in the way. I let facts get in the way. A little piece of information get in the way. I let rumors get in the way. I let media get in the way. And you know what? I'm pretty good. I can just get in the way myself. And God says, listen, in my kingdom, in what I'm trying to build, in a world of injustice, in a world that's broken, in a world that's scratched, I will satisfy the justice of God so you can receive the mercy of God and give the mercy of God. Isn't that great? Look what we get to do. That's a power beyond any strength any of us have. And he says, come here, I'll give it to you. But we have to understand that he's talking about this uncommon way of seeing. Because that was not the way the average guy would have heard that. See, the average guy who would have heard that, he would have said, no, 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 no. We don't do mercy. We do justice. We, we get these people right. We kick those dirty Romans out. Jesus said, no, that's not my kingdom. Mine's different. Mine is different. So let's keep going here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the kind of thing that we probably should all swallow hard at too. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm not sure I've ever been that. He gives us three different meanings for this word pure. One of them is deluded. Blessed are those whose hearts are not deluded, not watered down. 
Anybody ever get a, get a soda from the, from the McDonald's or someplace and it sits on the counter and you go after an hour and a half and you drink it and you go, oh, it's just melted water, soda, brown, liquid, sad fluid, right? And that's what happens to our hearts as we live in this world. And he says, blessed are those whose hearts are not deluded, who haven't been watered down, who haven't, how do we keep a heart not watered down? We immerse it in the word of God. We spend time doing, I, I, I don't read my Bible because I'm noble. I read my Bible because I'm desperate. And here's what he's saying. I need you to be pure in heart because when you are, you're going to see someone that you've never seen before. You're going to see God in a way you've never seen him before. You're actually going to look and go, that's God. That's God at work. When my daughter was about four, I took the training wheels off of her bicycle. And she looked at me, what did I do wrong? Why would you take all the safety away from my bicycle? And I said, oh, sweetie, you don't understand that once we get these training wheels off, you're going to go faster than you've ever been. You're going to go further than you've ever gone. You're going to have a, a stronger body because now you're the one who's bringing the balance and here's what we've seen in this country. God's taken the training wheels off of our churches. And instead of clamoring, oh, we just got to get back together and sing our songs, we should be saying, God, keep the training wheels off and let us go somewhere we've never been before. Let us do something we've never done before. Let us reach people we've never reached before. Let us love people we've never loved before. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are those whose hearts are not deluded, whose hearts are not distracted and they're not divided. Blessed are those people because those are the ones who see God. Can I tell you what deludes, divides, and distracts me? My preferences. You know what I mean? I go into, I go into a, a plane and I have a preference for an aisle seat. Wide guys like aisle seats. So I, I like that. And then I, I fly southwest and I forget to register and I don't want to pay the extra 12 bucks to, to be preferred. And I end up in a middle seat. And I can be deluded, divided, and distracted about wherever I'm going because I got to sit for an hour and a half like this. And I'm thinking, what a baby. I'm such a baby. Blessed are those whose hearts are not divided, who are not distracted, who are not deluded, because those are the people that begin to recognize God. I have a neighbor. He is a recovering from just about everything you can recover from. And to keep himself in recovery, he gets up at all hours of the night and works. And so it's not uncommon to be 4.30 or 5 in the morning. I, I'm up then to hear a table saw or a skill saw. And he, he just builds things and he tears them down and he builds something else. I can be distracted. Or I can see God. The choice is mine. I can look and say, you're intruding on my space. You're ruining my feng shui, right? Or I can say, God, you love this guy. How can I prove it to him? 
I got the choice. Blessed are the pure in heart because they're the ones who will see God. Is there a place in your life right now that God say, I want to show you something. I want to show you where I'm at, but you can't see. Until, until you get rid of some distraction. Until you get rid of some division, the othering stuff. Until you get rid of a, of a, of a heart that's divided. Is there some place that God said, I just want to show you this. Every time God reveals himself, it's good. It's scary sometimes, but it's good. You know why? Because he's good. The more we are in the presence of God, the more we're changed into the image of God. That's what First Peter, Second Peter says. Let's keep going here. Blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now this is a tough one. Blessed are the peacemakers. We have people who say, blessed are the peacekeepers, right? So we don't say anything, <laughs> nothing. Don't want to cause problems. Don't want... I, I'm not suggesting this is true here in anybody's marriage, but I have spent hours of counseling with people who the husband says, oh, I don't say anything because once I do, I'm going to upset the fruit cart and it's going to be crazy in my... So I'm a peacekeeper. Jesus isn't talking about that. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, blessed are those who bring into the moment what is necessary for peace to occur. Blessed are those who bring, and whether that is a resource, whether that is a perspective, whether that is love, whether that is, blessed are the peacemakers. The word shalom, which Jesus probably used here, was translated into the Greek word, irene, but I don't know Greek. That was one of my favorite F's in Bible college. The, the reality of it is, the word he's using here is simply this. I want you to be the kind of people who in the end, their presence brings what is necessary for peace to occur. And it's not just peace in terms of conflict. It's peace in terms of prosperity. It's peace in terms of people being able to come back and say, ah, what I needed to breathe, I got. What I needed to think differently, I got. Blessed are the people who enter in because they will be called sons of God. In the language of the day, there were not a lot of adjectives. And so here's what they would do. They would say, instead of trying to come up with some kind of an adjective, here's what they would do. They would say, we're going to use the phrase son of. And so Barnabas was the son of encouragement. Because they didn't have a lot of words to say, oh, he's such a cheerful, joyful, all these ad adjectives, right? So they said, he's the son of encouragement. And when encouragement had a kid, it was Barnabas. <laughs> James and John were the sons of thunder. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good, right? And so here's, here's what Jesus is doing. And maybe in the vernacular of this time, he said, blessed are the peacemakers because they're sons of God. That's the kind of people that God gives birth to. That's the kind of people that God says, those are mine. 
It's such a cool thought to me. The word son here is not, is not the word for child. It's actually the word for adult. An adult son. Because it takes a level of maturity to bring peace. We oftentimes think of people who are mature because they just know a lot. Now they know so much. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The mature sons of God are the ones who know how to bring peace. Put that in a kingdom context, all right? So Jesus is sitting here in a people who are oppressed, people who are enslaved, people who are overtaxed, people who are worried about their future. Nothing like we have today, but that's how it was for them. He says, blessed are those people who come in and bring peace. Who bring what needs, what the church needs for peace. Our world does not need amped up Christians who are claiming their rights. Our world needs Christians who are humble, who understand that being a peacemaker means that we walk in and we love and we serve other people. That's what we need. I'm praying that for this church. I'm praying that for the kingdom of God. I get in trouble sometimes because I don't say anything. I do something instead of saying. I live that way. But how come you haven't fired up and fought about this or that or this or that? That's getting excited, aren't we? How come you don't do that? And it's, he'll tell you why. It's because words are not what God uses always to bring peace. He uses people to come in to become sons of God. And that's what we need. That's what I want this church to be because you're surrounded by people that are easily worked up. Some of us are those people. We're just like a hornet's nest. All we got to do is walk by and tap and shh. And God's going, listen, I want, you, I want you to see in my kingdom it's the peacemakers that get the nickname Son of God. That's the nickname we want, right? Wouldn't it be great if our future as a church that our nickname wasn't East Parkway but Children of God. There's some sons and daughters of God over there. That's a much higher goal. Let's aim at that. Let me close with this. You hear these words I know that they challenge us. They challenge me as I prepare them. I know, but can I ask you to pick one thought today? I know they're giving you a lot. I looked at three sentences from the Bible, but can you just pick one? And she said, God, what did you speak to me about? You want me to be a peacemaker? How do I do that? And begin to ask God this question. God, would you make me a peacemaker? Would you make me the kind of person that brings peace into moments? into moments, into lives, into people. Help me, help me know what I'm bringing. God, would you, would, you, would you help me see you by seeing where I'm distracted, deluded, or divided so that I can, I can rid myself of those and remove, at least move to a better place. And God, would you make me less judgmental and more merciful? Those are good prayers, aren't they? I can promise you this, God's not going to go, nope, not doing that. 
He's not going, hey, I've been waiting for those words. Let's do it together. Because all of these things describe our Jesus, who is the peacemaker who entered into time and space and people's lives and said, I will bring what makes peace. I will bring my justice so you can have my mercy. Right? So will you do that? Just say, ask God that this week. And then will you continue to read the Sermon on the Mount? If you're bored with it and you're tired of it, that's okay. Keep reading it. One of the things I learned about my Bible was that it's not so much what I get out of the moment, but it's the process of being immersed in it. God says things to me. You know, it's, it's, I used to tell my kids this. There's more to math. There's more to algebra than learning algebra. Sometimes it's about learning the other things of being in a process. We put a standard on our friendship with God that we don't put on any other relationship. I don't sit down with my wife and say, now listen, if we're going to have a relationship, I have to get something out of this conversation every time. But we put that expectation on God, right? We shouldn't. Because we have a friendship with God. He says, just come on in. Be with me. And the proximity of God changes us. So let me pray for you. And uh, we'll do another song. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we say thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus coming and giving us this sermon that, whew, it challenges us, but it transforms us. We don't mind being challenged to be in your kingdom. So God, would you help us to hear you, to listen to you, so that we can see you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.